0: All right, um, we are now going to basically uh, tell the story of the last 15 years, uh, mainly because this story has actually never been told in its entirety, and everybody has snippets of the story, and so a lot of you have submitted photos, you've submitted stories, and we've created a framework that we're calling this morning, 15 Years of God's Providence, and I am joined by the lovely Jennifer Jans, uh, who's walked us... <laughs> since day one. So remembrance is a sanctifying exercise. Uh, When we take the Lord's table, we remember something. And so we are remembering today the works of the Lord through his people. And I think we can actually celebrate both God and his church and how he actually used you because you all had a part. In fact, probably no less than 10,000 people had a part in getting uh, the journey to where it's at today. At grand opening 15 years ago this week, Ted Travis began the service by reading from Romans 8:28 through the end of the chapter, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We chose the name Providence because the state motto of Colorado is nil sine numine, which means nothing without providence, nothing without the hand of God. So when our state became a state in 1876, the leaders said, when they looked at the beautiful mountains, nothing here happens without the wonderful hand of God. And we just wanted to restore that idea uh, in this city. We also called ourselves a Bible church because we wanted to stand upon the truth of the word of God. So this journey is going to be a walk through 15 years in five chapters, Uh, Our grand opening sermon, just the subject, was the providence of God. I'm actually going back to that sermon, and in a sense, it's going to be re-preached to you today, but actually through the story of God's providence. You see, 15 years ago, we were hopeful in the providence of God. We were believers in the providence of God, but we hadn't seen it work out in our lives. And so these truths have now become our own. So chapter one of the story is a church is born. And this, I think the theme of God's providence was his guiding hand. Psalm 32, verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God guided us when honestly, we didn't even know the way. This actually started when Jen and I ran an addiction recovery ministry for five years in our previous church. And the Friday night addiction recovery to us was much more enjoyable than the Sunday morning thing going on. And we started to, we didn't realize the seed was being planted. And what would it be like to have a church where you could minister with people like this nonstop? And at the same time, I was introduced to the teachings of Tim Keller, where he had a theology that was as big as the city. The church I was part of was moving away from the city to the outer ring of the burbs, and I just felt God's calling that the gospel shouldn't actually uh, uh, honor our homogeneity, but it actually should bring together our diversity into one body in one place. And so we, we had thought we were going to stay at that church forever. We had built a home there. But God saw before we saw what he wanted to do, and we need to change. So we wanted to plant a church that would be diverse socioeconomically, ethnically, and generationally. And to put our vision to something people could grab onto, uh, that became our focus. So we actually made a video. That video still lives. If any of you say that we look young, uh, we are not listening to that. We are still very young But we're gonna play you five short clips from that video. Before we knew what Providence would become, it was just our heart. And that's when I asked for money, right there, so.
1: (laughs) And you still look good, babe, you still look good. Using that very video, we went out to raise support in a borrowed van in the summer of 2008. Colorado was in hard times, in fact, we were in recession. And so were we. We had a dream and no money and very few people that actually thought we were real. The financial gift, though, that I will never forget was when we had absolutely nothing. And Rudy and Connie Gomez, even while they were unemployed and struggling, became our first board members, gave us $5,000 to create that video. And we produced it (laughs) and it went with us. With our four sons, under the age of 10, we traveled to 15 states, visiting churches, friends, and family, yearning for financial, personal, and prayer support. By mid-summer of that year, we had maxed out all of our personal credit cards up to $12,000, and we had no money, literally, to travel to the next spot. In Philadelphia, where we had stopped, we were staying in a church's prophet's chamber, and our faith had been pushed, and we had nothing left. I remember looking at Jay saying, it's time for the Lord to work right now. (laughs) We need him. And on our way for Jay to speak at the chapel, we got a call from Josh and Katie's uh, old church that was closing down. And they gave us $40,000. That got us back breathing again and kept the ministry going forward.
0: We came back to Denver. We started meeting with ministry leaders. We had a lot of zeal in those days, but not a lot of knowledge. But I remember meeting with a pastor from Mount Carmel Missionary Baptist up the street, and I said, I do believe God's called me to plant the church in the inner city. And I'll never forget, he looked at me, and he goes, what did you do to God? Uh, <laughs> and then uh, I met with Pastor Davis at Mount Zion, who's still pastor there, and Pastor Davis said, do you have any advice for a young pastor in the city? He said, prepare to suffer. Then somebody said, you need to meet Ted Travis. Uh, and I looked up Ted Travis, and we met uh, at the coffee shop that was first known as Blackberry's Coffee. We're at Ted and They're Shelley. Right Would you guys stand up, Ted and Shelley? <laughs> I told them this morning, your fingerprints are all over this ministry. When I had my first meeting with Ted, he started downloading a philosophy and theology to me that I had really never heard. This week, I looked back at my notes because it was so riveting. I took up my laptop and started typing what he was saying. He said, Jason, the American church has lost the gospel that has the power to reconcile. If you come to the city, relationships are the key and focus on the poor. The church sees this as an option, but working with the poor is not an option and it's not a calling, it's a matter of character. John Perkins, Jason, says that an evangelical is someone who believes the word of God but won't obey it. He said, Take a chapter from the Catholics. They actually do something that meets the needs. Think in terms of parish. Why don't you build a community center first and out of that build a church? Develop your theology, Jason, in the relationships of context. Start caring about what people care about and you will start to hear their cry. And by the way, Jason, you're not the white savior. The people given the proper resources can solve their own problems. And if you've been around long enough, you know those are part of the fabric in DNA, and they come out of the lips of that man there.
1: Our first gatherings, though, were not Sunday mornings. In fact, a core group of us started meeting at Trinity United Methodist Church in their basement in downtown Several of us began moving into the neighborhood. In fact, it was Randy and Cheryl's daughter Sarah, a single woman from our youth group, moved in first. Like ten blocks up there, not a great hood, uh, but she was in, and we jumped into Humboldt. And shortly within a year, the rest of the core started moving in. Our kids needed a school. Hudbud was about in third grade. Champ uh, was in first. Peyton and Spurge were little bitty, and uh, I remember Shelly Travis was out with Jay. And Ted, and they were at a meeting, and they said, you should check out the school down your street. Your kids need to be in a local school if you're going to understand your neighborhood. I had my papers in my hands to go to Dora Moore, which is on the other side of Colfax, which now I know that's a thing. You don't do that uh, if you're from here. And I was ready to go over there. And when I walked into Cole, met some great teachers. In fact, Gina Livingston was one of them who's still with us today. Uh, and felt that that is exactly where God wanted us to be. Our homes and our schools began to live that daily life, uh, and God was truly providentially guiding us.
0: But then we needed a place to meet for our ministries and for Sunday morning services, and we stumbled into Central Baptist Church on 24th and California, the second oldest African-American church here in the city. They had just built a new building, and they wrapped their old building inside their new building, so I got to know the pastor there, we signed a lease, and we began a friendship that has lasted over the years. In fact, I just went over there two weeks ago and said, we're now 15 years old, and we want to say thank you for giving us our first place for those, those first four years. We had to remodel the place, and uh, that was our core group meeting in the sanctuary. You might see a, a young man, noticeable on the bottom left back there. Uh, he is now 25 years old. Um <laughs> And the first day, we invited the whole core group to come out and join us for the remodel. And at the time it had started, not a single Providence person showed up, which is exactly how it happens still today. So we actually went across the park to where the unhoused were staying and hired them all to come in and help us demo the sanctuary. And it was there that we met a man named Roger, who became our project lead, and uh, a construction worker who fell on hard times. And he's really what made that sanctuary pop. We spent $37,000, and then we moved into grand opening there. And you'll see the verse above, You're All One in Christ Jesus, which is the same verse. It's outside those doors. And uh, you'll see some of the leadership uh, there's Juan at the pulpit. There's Martha Groskoff. There's a little young boy over there on the far left. I'm not sure who that is. Um, but that's a lot of energy. We were crammed. We had to remodel a bathroom just for childcare. We put another kids' classroom in a stairwell. Uh, but I wanted to play you a brief audio clip from that exact sermon because as it talks about the providence of God, I want you to hear how we were talking 15 years ago. Although Katie Larson had Cademan that week, she actually did show up to Grand Opening. I wasn't going to miss the party. Um, We then partnered with Central Baptist Church, uh, and we did a lot of things together. We did potlucks where we figured out what greens were and why you always bring those to a potluck. Uh, We did joint services together. We did the famous 6 a.m. Sunday morning Easter play, and uh, we put our characters in there. They put their characters in there. I'll never forget at the scene of the crucifixion, they had their African-American deacon come down the center aisle as Jesus carrying the cross, and two of our young white college boys were the Roman centurions, and they came down front, and I'll never forget, I was sitting next to the senior pastor, and he leaned over, and he goes, yep, Jason, the white guys got him again, you know, so... Uh, <laughs> But that church became the tutor to us in understanding this historic African-American neighborhood. And this actually then promoted that key core value of the relational weave, that we are all one, which is exemplified here in the cross fabric that Christy Lanson made. So coinciden- coincidentally, or perhaps providentially, our meeting place, our homes, and eventually became our ministry center, we all within 10 blocks of each other, which goes to the value we have of deep roots and a community-based philosophy, and God's providence saw beforehand what this would become, even when we didn't.
1: God was also providing leaders for us, and this slide shows five Nope, that yeah, one doesn't. It, it. it does, okay. that So it's the five staff members, total, they were getting paid $27,000, uh, and some of those staff members are still here. Uh, the first that we will mention is Josh and Katie Larson. Uh, they were on staff with us at our last church, but made their desires known to us. When we were to open, they wanted to, to join us. Um, Katie was the first person on paid staff. And, in fact, Josh and Katie are the only people besides Jay uh, in Providence's history to spend the entire 15 years in church leadership and church staff. We cannot thank you guys enough. (laughs) We also met David and Mindy Cedarquist in Pennsylvania when we were, had no money and praying, and we met them that weekend. Um, we had no musical talent in the core group, and we were begging God for some music. Uh, and we met David and Mindy. They were the first ones to say, we will move out of state to go in inner city to help you guys. David was great with music. Mindy was wonderful with kids. And they were a vital role in that early years. They left in 2014 to lead a ministry in Indianapolis.
0: And then we had Juan and Courtney Pena. Let's hear it up for Juan and Court. A local Denver newspaper did a story on Providence, and afterwards it made its way through a church-planting mentor of mine to the inbox of Courtney Pena when they were on the East Coast. She immediately forwarded to Juan who said if this is for real, we might be moving to Denver? He called me that night, gave me the theological quiz for about three hours, uh, and then quickly planned a trip. You know, and if you know Juan, he doesn't need much. If he's a nudge from God, he will go. And so they came out here. His only question before I got on the plane was, Jason, though, are there any Latinos in Denver? Uh, and I said, I think we can find a few. So, um, after the weekend visit, they, they came and they were the first ones that came up with the idea to give the best 30 years of our life to a neighborhood. And Juan coined the phrase, we give hundreds of hours uh, to see transformation in our neighborhood. At that time, one of our core group members, Pam Austin, was actually fasting and praying that this all-white leadership team would actually uh, get a leader of color to join the, the core team. And with that fasting and praying, that was accomplished. Juan and Courtney were instrumental in showing all of us how to love a neighborhood the expensive way and do whatever it takes to get a job done, from community groups to the beginning of cross-purpose to just being willing to do anything to move the mission forward. And then we have Jerry and Martha Groskopf, uh who Jerry now goes by the name Jerome. Where is uh, yeah, Jerome? Right there you are, Jerome and Martha right there. Um, they knew us from the addiction recovery ministry that we were leading. We were the fir- they were the first ones we approached and said, would you consider come and leading with us downtown? And they said yes. They've been at Providence since before day one, eventually moved into Park Hill, and they become an integral part of the ministry here. So that core team was formed, and as Randy mentioned, if you were going to become a member, though, we were pretty tired of casual Christianity and said, uh, if you're going to come, you must commit to the four Gs, gather on the weekends, grow in a small group, give financially, and be involved in neighborhood ministry, or you cannot join the church. Uh, we, were, uh, we, we, we quoted the verse that whoever will lose their life uh, will find it. And uh, John Stuart Mill said, one person with a belief is equal to 99 who have some interests. And we wanted the one who had beliefs. We didn't care about the 99 who just had interests. Our first membership class, we had a lot of zeal. It was two days long. 58 adults came to that membership class where we were introduced to people like Gina Livingston, Brian McCoy, Kevin Root. And uh, today, though, Covenant Partners at Providence still make those four commitments to join this body. And I think that's actually been the core of the entire success of this ministry, So the ministry was off and running, and we had seen God's providence through his guiding hand to places and spaces we didn't know, uh, but we knew something about it all was where we should be. However, we knew that most of our flock could actually nail the first three Gs, but that go was going to be difficult. In fact, Ted had said to me, Jason, the Church of Jesus Christ has figured out how to love God, but they are all thumbs when it comes to loving their neighbor, which brings us to our second chapter. Neighborhood ministry begins. So this is from 2009 to 2012. We saw God's providence here through his power in our lives. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. So we were clear that God's power had to work through us if we were going to see true change. We wanted a deep walk with the poor as part of the church because we saw Jesus made the poor as part of his, the focus of his ministry. This later became the core value of the redemptive edge, meaning that our ministry began where society had left people behind. So we started Providence, as Juan said, not to save the neighborhood, but to save our own souls, and that is still true to this day. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, had said, don't seek a great church, seek a great city. Don't try to build a mega church, try to make a mega impact. And so we started a lot of ministries. My last count were 16 different ministries that were started. Um, And we didn't have a strategy. It was see a need, take the lead. We often said, just go charge hell with a squirt gun. And Josh Larson said six months ago, hey, Jay, we never got squirt guns. So that's why under your chair this morning, you all now have a squirt gun. So for the next 15 years, you now have the tools to charge hell, okay? So keep (laughs) charging hell. Ted Travis introduced us to the Christian Community Development Association, which had eight different principles. One of those core principles was listen for the needs of a neighborhood before you program. So the way ministry worked is we'd open up the neighborhood newspaper, see a need, and just go and answer that need for volunteers. We led the church in to do some things. The first thing was the revival of the Juneteenth celebration, which had actually gone defunct after after a, a period of violence. And we helped out for four years running their children's zone. The second one was baseball and badges to bring children and law enforcement together. We also invited all the homeless to a Super Bowl party in our newly remodeled sanctuary. Uh, And everybody from the Denver Rescue Mission came down, and we had a lot of fun. We also took over 200 homeless individuals to the Rockies game. Uh, Shannon Neal made all the hot dogs for that. But then we answered an ad from Lutheran Family Services. We said, "Um, we have refugees in this, na- in this city, and they need these Thanksgiving baskets. And I was like, we have refugees in Denver, Colorado? So we answered the call. We delivered over 50 baskets, and that actually began our ministry to primarily uh, immigrants from the east part of Africa. And where would we be without Nicollet and Marcel and Joseph and Jocelyn and the volunteers by the dozens that gave them rides to church, Henry and Mary Hendrickson, the Goslovich family, uh, that really began this ministry which has blossomed into our African congregation. Our own members also came up with ministries. Gina Livingston started WizKids at Cole. Gene Johnson did Crew uh, at Manual High School. We had another leader doing international students at CCD. Cheryl McCall started a weekly outreach to the Champ House, a ministry of the Denver Rescue Mission. Uh, but we felt we needed a base of operations as all these ministries were starting to really get going. I was having a prayer meeting with Ted at my house, and he said, Jason, I really want you to pray Um, that we can sell our headquarters. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, it's a $450,000 building. We would let it go for $300,000. Our church was just six months old, and I called the team, and I said, hey, what if we went over and prayed in this building and see if this could be our ministry center? We didn't want to go into debt at all, so it had to all come in in cash or pledges. So we signed a contract, and we were going to close in 60 days, and we had nothing. Well, we got up to the closing, and we were $3,000 shy of what we needed to close. I called Ted and said, we can't close. He said, our board's already met. We want to give you 60 more days. uh, But we need $3,000 to keep our lights on. So can you give us three grand? And I was like, we don't have $3,000. So we were going to vote. At that time, there were 12 of us in a circle to turn the deal down. And I remember as I was going around the circle, I felt desperate, like this is the first big leadership challenge that I had in this new church. And I was leading them off a cliff of disappointment. And for the only time I've ever prayed this in my life, I said, God, God, Please call my phone and tell me what to do. <laughs> and person number eight was praying, and there was like four left. And I was just paralyzed, just saying, They're going to look up, and I have to do something here. And literally, my phone rang. And the caller ID was heaven. No, it was, it was a dude in Pennsylvania. And he said, Jason, uh, I was going to call you on Monday, but God told me to call you right now. I'm going to give you $3,000. Ah. When I walked back into the room where they all, they had already taken the vote to turn down the deal. And I said, I need to tell you one story first. And uh, we then were given the next 60 days. The last check was actually written by one of Jerome's landscaping clients, allowed us to close on the building that we now call the C. I remember at that next Sunday, Cheryl McCall stood up and she wrote a testimony called My Miracle. And she said, uh, uh, I've, I read about miracles in the Bible. But that's somewhat removed from me, but this is the first time in my life I saw a miracle with my own eyes. But at that time, we needed to fix up the building, give it some new uh, paint and some carpet. So we needed to go raise money. And so we actually came up with this idea for a fundraiser that we would go sleep in cardboard boxes in the middle of December in downtown called Night in a Box. The first night we did that, it was six degrees above zero, and we raised a total of $7,000. But I tell you, people still in this neighborhood tell me that's the moment they actually believed we were serious. So we bought what then became the Encompass Community Center. We opened it in the spring of 2010.
1: And then we started stuff. Uh, Pepe and Chavez Rojas launched immigration fairs where we met Monica and Felipe. We're Monica and Felipe. <laughs> we could not imagine life without you both then as we knocked on doors in the neighborhood we met a hundred single moms and surveyed them they said they didn't want food they didn't want backpacks they wanted friends and time away from their kids so we called this national program called mothers of preschoolers i.e mops and said we don't have the 50 bucks ahead to pay for dues And so as Providence's way, we said, well, we'll just start it and do it our own way. So we started Single Moms Night Out every Friday night. Christy and made craft after craft after craft. Kim Hurst uh, did check-ins. Cam, Lisa, Tiffany, Cheryl. I remember walking food, casserole dishes from our house to the sea over and over. Joel and Lauren watching kiddos. And Kevin mentioned it this morning. Then Mercy Tucker heard about a diaper giveaway, and she applied for a donation. We got 100,000 diapers, pallets after pallets. Uh, it was called the Every Little Bottom Campaign. Uh, we got into those homes really well. Uh, that actually morphed into a ministry that helped single moms holistically called Encompass. Uh, and if you see this slide, you will see what we deemed holistic care at that time and realized that cross purpose was actually being formed as a tiny seed from all those beautiful uh, ministries that were being done. Randy McCall, who we've already mentioned, was our first board member of uh, Encompass. Another ministry came from understanding that this neighborhood had the highest men and women being released back into society after being incarcerated. So we started Strong Tower. Uh, We had Craig Reed, which Wendy is here today. You guys say hi to Wendy. She's here. (laughs) Uh, Scott Lanson, Kip Pyle on the second floor of the sea. There was a computer lab, backpacks, bus passes. It was there we realized that toilet paper was actually a hot commodity um, and that it could be stolen really easily. Uh, Just after days putting up TVs, they were ripped off the wall. Uh, While learning about these hardships of ministry, we got to know our neighbors in need, and we made so many good friends. As they jumped into Providence, we decided to start with trust and reserve the usher role just for those who had a felony. So it was very special and specific. Then we began a Boy Scouts chapter for fatherless boys. It was started by the former gang member in the neighborhood. Uh, we were given a van, an old one that smelled an awful lot like gasoline. Uh, and one night while we were dropping off kids, it did explode into fire. And kids were very
0: like... Very slowly, very slowly. No one was harmed.
1: But kids were jumping out and fire trucks were called. And they, and they thought it was cool. It was cool. They it was cool. And we learned that being in God's providential hand was definitely an adventure. I remember
0: that van. We got more in the scrapyard than we paid for it, so that was exciting.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Scott was like, metal, metal, metal. We can sell it. (laughs) Uh, We also journeyed into foster care. There were many of us who jumped into Denver Human Services and began loving on kids in our neighborhood. The Reeds, the Goslovich, the Livingston, Kelly Woodard, who's here today, uh, and Henderson. In fact, Kelly Woodard built a beautiful relationship between Providence and Denver Human Services and jumped into kinship care with just families in our neighborhood. Sarah Fowler, who we know is Root, (laughs) uh, began a ministry to help foster kids to get adopted kids' homes called Home at Last.
0: Well, we now we needed a lot of help to do all these ministries because most of our people work jobs, Uh, So we had the bright idea to start another ministry to see if millennials would raise their own support and come work with us, called the Providence Center for Urban Leadership Development. Ray and Patty Brim, uh, welcome back from sabbatical. You're not quite back, but you're here this morning. Uh, They became like the mom and dad. And that's where we got to know some special leaders, such as Elisa McManus, Greg Hall, Nico Athanasiu, Antoinette Johnson, Cynthia Lopez, and Sarah Root, and so many other wonderful young leaders. At the same time, we were actually given a grant by a businessman who is mentoring me uh, to start a ministry to not just help people in poverty, but help get them out of poverty. And when we got the grant, we just hired a director to run that program. We didn't even really touch it. Um, But we made the promise in a Sunday morning church service that if you lived in this neighborhood and you were in poverty, we would do whatever we could to actually get you out to become self-sufficient, even though I hate that word, to become interdependent with the neighborhood. Little did we know that this little side ministry would be the most enduring of all 16 and become known as cross-purpose. At this time, our staff was so young, but growing in size and forming a vision." Probably one of the moments I remember the most is Scott Lanson who was in our business manager, came to me and said, Jason, we just got a letter from our insurance company. They have canceled our insurance. They said, you do things other churches don't do. And I was like partly panicked, but partly really proud that, uh, that that happened. And then we started ringing the phone trying to get someone to insure us. That was kind of the outside ministry, but then we also had the community groups that were really starting to grow and uh, grab in the neighborhood. This is where relationships began to form and friendships started. In fact, in our community group, I remember there was a former prosecuting attorney, Brian McCoy, sitting next to a man on our couch who he had put in jail studying the Bible uh, together. Juan and Courtney adopted their neighborhood and really kind of led the way, showing us on how to build a community group. Juan really ran the community group ministries for about 10 years um, and became famous for his Friday night barbecues in Nairobi Park. We built two grillinators so we could feed hundreds of people at a time. In fact, Juan actually, if you go to the next slide, there's the nine neighborhoods that we adopted. Actually, when they redesigned the park, uh, Juan actually redesigned it so that the actual front Uh, the sidewalk would go from the park right to his front door, uh, and... Uh, he still has a huge presence in that neighborhood, he and Courtney. So our CG started ga- gaining strength and spreading throughout the neighborhood. At this time, too, a, a donor came up and allowed us to buy the Steel Street Apartments. And he said, I'm going to buy it for you now and hold it. You guys just pay me rent, and then when you want to buy it, you just pay me what I paid for it. And that really helped us financially uh, through that time, and that housed then the fellows. Our Sunday morning services were fairly kind of wild and crazy at that point. I'll never forget a homeless man that we called Homeless Bob, uh, affectionate term he wanted to be called, during the worship service came up and taped his crack pipe to the guest card and put it on the communion table. And I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I was taking a picture of it because I had never seen that in all my years of church. Uh, but then I got a text on my phone from a single mom from the Champ House on the second row saying, please get that crack pipe off the communion table. It is triggering me right now. So that was church for us uh, back in those early days. Um, it's also where multi-ethic worship developed with the likes of Will Cruz, Justin Spann, Kevin Root, the African Choir, and many others. We also then started a multilingual service. Uh, Greg and Karen Mortimer, who I saw here there in the very back, helped us launch that in 2011 with Pepe and Shabi Rojas. And that now was taken over by Alvaro Pena, and now Roberto Rojas and Juan Pena lead that ministry as well. So as we think back to the providence of God, his power was evident in so many ways, and we couldn't have dreamed of being able to witness so much life transformation in ourselves and in our neighbors.
1: Yet chapter three, we moved in what we call the difficult years. From 2013 to 2017, there were five years of just darkness, struggle, hardship, We realize that God's providence meant His watch care over us. He takes care of us during the hard times of life. Psalm 23:4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me, your rod and staff comfort me.
0: This was a time of great discouragement for us. We had outgrown Central Baptist Church, and we needed a bigger sanctuary. We thought about going to two services, but we said, let's just stay as one body. So we moved into manual high school. Uh, But now we were in an 800-seat auditorium with a small church of just a couple hundred people, and it just kind of drowned us out. Plus, DPS would often forget in the winter to turn the heat on. So we would text people at 9 a.m. and say, dress in your winter clothes. We went to the Taylor Rent-A-Center and bought these huge propane torches. Uh, that was illegal, by the way. And two of them would fire flames at about five feet during the service, which would often drown out the preaching. Uh, but that's how church was. Conversely, in the summer, there was no air conditioning, and you would just sweat the entire time. Uh, and we then ended up moving from there to Smith Elementary. but we did, So we were just discouraged by our Sunday situation. We had departures. We had key leadership failure in several key leaders. We had key, st- key staff who left. When we talked about the nine neighborhoods, some uh, members from the suburbs says, that's not us, we're going to go pick a community church. And we lost a bunch of people by taking a neighborhood philosophy of ministry.
1: We also had disease during those years where so many of our church families had physical struggles. Jeff Cook. He's not up there. Patty Brim. In fact, I remember when we set up a tent outside the Steel Treat and had a prayer. Just a, it was freezing, but our hearts were so warm. Martha Groskoff, all had cancer in 2016. Dear ones to us. And Tiana Johnson had cardiac arrest, spent months in the hospital, striving for life. Those were hard years. We also had death of those people that we loved. Rochelle and Benzia's baby girl, Hannah Nogatia, died in the summer of 2014. And we had Jamima, the one who we love they say hi to Ms. Jamima. <laughs> She's going to stand, yes. Our prayer warrior, her husband, who we also love dearly, Mr. Nagatia, died in April of 2017. Those were hard years. And Tom Gamble, a key founder and Jay's mentor in leadership and nonprofit work, passed away as well. And we also had death of ministries during that time. We closed down quite a few things. The fellows, after training 47 young leaders, we closed it down. Single Moms Night Out, we stopped that. Strong Tower and the Boy Scouts. Why? Well, we were learning the difference of relief versus development work. We needed to end those ministries to redesign and to rebuild.
0: But it was also a time of deep division, discord, and we had to make some decisions. I decided to take a bunch of us with shorter church next score and go to ferguson after the killing of michael brown i was there at the first stop i was just driving the bus for the team and there was a big blue line of officers with about 300 protesters and i was there with the protesters and i stepped out onto the street to take a picture and the cops immediately ordered my arrest and i was arrested and thrown into jail uh, for a day And when I came back to our church, by the way, that was a front page photo on the newspaper. Uh, uh, And I was mad because they wouldn't let me get the key out of my pocket to give it to my 10-year-old son, who was with me. And uh, obviously, I was nervous for him. But when I came back, five white families immediately left the church. They said, we can't follow a pastor who breaks the law. Uh, And in this relational weave, we were trying to bring everybody together. But at that point, we actually realized a really key thing. When you've got two sides and you don't know which side to go to, you stand with the oppressed. Because Jesus stood with the oppressed. And at that time, I preached a message called Jesus Walks Through Ferguson, and we made it very clear, the line that we were on, that we were going to stand with our neighbors who had suffered in this way. And then we partnered with other ministries to get a bunch of ministries in the city to go do a peace march at the Capitol. I'm just going to show you a brief part of that video here this morning. This was also the time of the Trump election. And if you were a pastor during 2016 you'll never forget what happened to our churches during those times. So with so many difficulties, death and discouragement and departures, division and discord, we began to really question ourselves. Our attendance was the lowest it had ever been. Was this experiment called Providence actually going to work or had it run its course? Some even asked the question, is Providence dead? Were we Was the God of Providence still at work, working something together for good through all these difficult times? We go back to God's watch care over us that we wouldn't be where we are today without the refining fire of those five difficult years. At grand opening, I read the poem by William Cooper. I'm going to reread it again to you. Called God Moves in a Mysterious Way, His Wonders to Perform. He Plants His Footsteps in the Sea and Rides Upon the Storm. "'Deep and unfathomable minds of never-failing skill, "'he fashions up his bright designs "'and works his sovereign will. "'Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. "'The clouds that you much dread are big with mercy "'and will break in blessings on your head. "'Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, "'but trust him for his grace. "'Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. "'His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. "'The bud may have a bitter taste, "'but sweet will be the flower.'" Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan His work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and He will make it plain. So we had tasted the bitter things, but where was this sweet flower that Cooper was talking about?
1: Well, we know that flowers can take a lot of wind and a lot of rain, and we were not going to quit. Providence, we had determination, determination of the Lord on our side. Though those years were difficult by shutting down so many ministries that were relief-driven, we gathered what we had learned, bolstered our energy, rallied our people power, finances, and focus, and began cross-purpose at the end of that rough season. In fact, our first board member is here today, Dee Scriven, of Cross-Purpose. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. God was watching over us. He was providential over our trials. He was with us. His rod and staff were comforting us. His care-filled eyes guided us into our fourth chapter, which was new beginnings from 2018 to 2019. In fact, God's providence can also be seen in his provision for our needs, Genesis 22:14 14 says, So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. We moved out of Smith Elementary and into Hallett Elementary. And we had a new beginning of the way to do ministry. We heard about an emotionally healthy spirituality. Those of you who are doing that book study right now, out of New York City. We went to that three-day conference with Josh and Katie. Upon looking at the topics, I remember sitting there with Jay. He was looking at the program and he said, are we actually going to have to talk about all this stuff? (laughs) Uh, And I just, I just breathed. (laughs) I breathed and I realized we had been so busy doing. We weren't being. We were stirring so many things that we were not soaking. That conference actually changed the foundation of how we work personally. Like Katie mentioned earlier, that inside coming, our humanness coming fully out to do the work of the ministry. In fact, we jumped into counseling at that time. And one of our counselors, Bob Hudson, is actually here today with us. He knows all of our dark sides and all of the growth that we are really doing. But that season really changed us. We also changed our mission statement at the end of that time it is not as fully devoted follower of Jesus, but a fully loved and devoted follower of him.
0: We also were given a new leader at that time. Uh, I remember having coffee with Josh and Katie Larson at a little cafe in Fair Play, Colorado. And at that time, I had been being pulled by Cross Purpose and couldn't give my time to lead the church staff as much. And I felt like the church was really suffering and so Katie was also pondering God's call in her life. And I said, Well, what if you just took over the church and you became the executive director? And she said yes in 2019. And it'd be hard to picture what province would be like without the leadership of Katie Larson over the last five years. We also found a new youth leader on the side of the road. No. <laughs> Where's OG? He's right there. Yeah. Osvaldo and Ellie Galavis had, had run from the Lord like Jonah down to the state of Texas, and the Lord <laughs> called them to the promised land. And they came here and helped us move new reality forward and help with the switch up programs uh, at the Red Shield. We also found new staff in Hunter and Kara Hambrick, uh, who moved here. Rahil and Maywish also joined the team during this time. And this new staff began to form and shape.
1: We had a new version of Cross Purpose as well. When we first designed it, it was a two-year program. We took that time and that year to revamp it and make it a six-month program, and man, how Cross Purpose has grown. In fact, I see some of my dear friends at CP right now. Um, we, within this five-year plan that was created, uh, we desired to see when 1,000 people get out of poverty. You see, cross-purpose became that really physical tool where we asked for could become action, where we could say there would be no need among us if we give and share and see one another well. We were going to support one another in every way.
0: But we had now outgrown the sea. We were renting space across the street at the Clayton College And we received a call on our deacon retreat from a friend named Luis Villarreal who ran Save Our Youth. And he said, Jason, could you guys use a building? And I said, well, yeah, but we're a neighborhood ministry, Luis. There's 70 Denver neighborhoods. It has to be in these nine neighborhoods. I said, where's the building? He said, I don't know. Let me find out the address. He texted me the address And it was literally across the street from our offices. And I said, hey, we're interested in the building. We entered this beauty contest with the foundation. We won. And uh, we signed a lease with the TYL Foundation in 2017 and began construction on this place in 2018. But once again, we had to raise money. The foundation said, we will put in $2 million. You need to put in $1 million. And so Cross Purpose took up a chunk. And the church did as well. And I have a brief video of Terry Bratton Um, Because we always said, you know, they always say, why do you cheer at the football game but you don't cheer in church? And this is Terry Bratton's uh, version of that. So at that time then we sold the C for $1.2 million, which gave us money to now buy the Steel Street Apartments Uh, Andrew Gosevich, uh, faithfully, was the owner's rep here in the building, did a great job. Tim Dwyer built the train. Many people pitched in. Then we had a new flavor for Sunday morning services, and we had a new birth in a new home. And for the first time, the church and the nonprofit were actually under one roof in a building that was designed by the community, for the community, and it continues to bless thousands of people every year so we decided to give back to the community and we launched jubilee 2020 we said 2020 is going to be the funnest and greatest year we've ever experienced (laughs) so god knows better right so but this is where we began this dream of taking all church retreats we actually had a service where we forgave the debt of john Muir for his restitution uh then we yes it was a beautiful service And then we decided that we were given this building and we were going to give it away. Brian Anderson gave me the numbers this morning. Since we came into the building, uh, we we have given away this building for free to the community for 2,300 hours since we opened the doors. (laughs) So this was God's providence. He gave us a new way of ministry, a new place of ministry, and a new set of leaders to do ministry.
1: And the last chapter for now, Providence, we're calling Pandemic and Promise from 2020 to 2023. You see, God's providence is seen through his control in all things. Romans eleven thirty six for of him, through him, and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. When COVID hit the world we followed the rules and we didn't have an on-site service for over a year we came back in may of 2021 in fact cgs became the lifeline as a church and as i we were looking back and i was sharing my memories of, of so many if not almost all of my memories were from cg times times sitting in a living room or visiting someone or being with someone in a moment and those community groups held us together during covid also during covid we began love northeast denver uh, to not just we didn't want to be at home we wanted to say what is going on in the church in denver and we brought the churches together this campaign loved with 23 churches and met 199 needs remember delivering groceries and finding things of people's needs Um, and we had also started the prayer praise campaign leading 20 plus churches in praying 191 prayer meetings happened during that time with 1,467 participants. But we also-
0: After that, we had a celebration. Yes. And uh, we were all in COVID stuck in our homes and so we had to have a party because 1,400 people had prayed. And so we'll just show you a brief clip of one of our members. We don't really know who it is, but this was during the pandemic (laughs) when he submitted his party.
1: That is what COVID did to us. Thank you, Jerome, for that celebration. (laughs) So just like normal Providence, we didn't stay still when the world was telling us we were supposed to. Um, But during that time, it was hard. And we did lose some church families during COVID. Over 50 people left our congregation, half of those moving to family needs out of state.
0: When's COVID... Uh, it was ended, though. We were dying to get back together. We finally did that church-wide retreat that we all wanted to do. And then also, just about nine months ago, we were leaving the service here, and about a dozen guests showed up on the front doorstep. Uh, Juan Pena greeted them, went home, and it's now lore, but he said to uh, Courtney, our, our lives will never be the same. And uh, they began an outreach to the Venezuelan uh, refugees who were coming across the border. And I know many people here helped. I know Heidi Toomer helped as well. This picture, I think there's over 30 Providence members helping Venezuelans find housing and food and jobs. And last time I heard from Juan, 250 people have now been placed into housing in the last nine months through this church, this church right here. <laughs> And if you are here this morning from Venezuela, would you please stand up? We'd like to welcome you to the family here at Providence as well. Let's say together, welcome home. One, two, three. Welcome home. Let's do it again a little bit louder. One more time with everything you've got. So we're almost done here, but what about Providence for the future? It was in June, I called the Penas and Larsons and I said, I need to go to dinner with you. Um, We sat down at this restaurant and I said, I don't think I'm the leader to take Providence the next lap. And I said, I feel like I've been needing to step aside for a while, uh, but it's really time. And I said, who wants to take it over? And Juan said, not me. And Josh said, not me. And, uh, and I said, OK, then we need to build a bench. Uh, we need to build a bench of young leaders. I'm willing to stay on as long as we need to. Uh, and so Josh immediately began light and heat uh, to help train the next generation. Um, But at the end of that year, 2020, we did sit there in the room in the middle of COVID and formed a three-year plan. And we're just coming up on the end of the three-year plan. I'm happy to announce that we had a discipleship goal to disciple 60 young believers in the faith. And that will end in four months. But so far, the last three years, 73 young believers have been discipled, far exceeding the goal. Many of them have come to know the Lord in baptism as well. Also, during COVID, one of those goals was to plant a church in North Aurora And it was Dale Scott who was just filling out the paperwork to become an elder here at Providence. And he said, I think God's actually calling me to plant a church. And at that time, Deep Well Church uh, was planted. And I think the Scots and the Hoax are here today. Would you guys stand? Let's say thanks to Deep Well Church. And we have visited there. I'm happy to report that they are completely self-sufficient and our worshiping congregation there in Aurora. So Josh formed this bench, it was called Light and Heat. And over the last two years, a whole new, some old province members and some new have come on to be part of that leadership team. So I'm gonna ask uh, for these leaders to stand. If you are currently uh, church staff, you are a current elder or spouse of an elder, You're an elder candidate or you're part of the Women's Leadership Council or a spouse. Would you please stand? This is uh, who will lead the church for the next 15 years. So we can look back now and see God's providence through his control of all things, from viruses to vision to Venezuelans pursuing a better life, and we are grateful for what God has done. He worked everything together, not for my good, not for Jen's good, but for y'all's good, right? All of us together, he worked together for good, and thanks to everybody here who played a part. God displays his power and his providence through his people. I'm happy to report that after 15 years, the impact that's been made is now we have 300 people that consider Providence their home, plus over 100 Venezuelans, you can go to the next slide, 100 Venezuelans who've called this place home. We also have listened to 750 sermons. We've been in over 5,000 small group meetings. There are now 838 graduates of cross-purpose living self-sufficient lives, with a total of 2,095 people completely out of poverty. And you remember when we talked about trusting God to just our support starting out with $600 a month. And over the last 15 years, $50 million has been invested in this community through the church and the nonprofit. All praise be to God. And on Tuesday, Lord willing, we will close on a property for a new cross-purpose headquarters in Aurora, with 137 affordable housing units on it, at a total price of $61 million, and that little church gave five acres of land, and that should close on Tuesday, and it will stand 100 years from now, helping hundreds and hundreds of families with their basic needs. So I think it's, (laughs) amen. We never wanted to be a mega church, but we did want to make a mega impact, and thank you for being part of that. The Bible does say He works all things together for good, but I think in the grand opening sermon, I stopped at Romans eight twenty eight. But when Ted read that passage, he read through the end of the book, and Paul says these things. So if God be for you, who can be against you? Who can do, who can be against you, Providence? I can't hear you. If God be for you, who can be against you, Providence? How will God who gave us his son not give us all things? Providence. Amen. Who can condemn us? Providence. No. I can't hear you. Who can condemn us? Providence. No. And then who shall separate us from the love of God? No. Not death, not demons, not despots, not heights, nor depths. So no matter what happens to Providence in the future, you can take uh, great faith in knowing that no matter what happens to us, nothing is happening to God and nothing is happening to his love for you and for me and for all who call Providence home and who've been part of the journey without, with all of us. So I think I can say after 15 years, numine, nothing here happened without the hand of God. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Dear God in heaven, you have worked all things together for our good, and for your glory. We thank you for the testimony of how it's moved in people's lives and how we are different. So God, we rest upon how you've provided over the last 15 years. Lord, I'm just, my mind is blown because you've done exceedingly abundantly above all we could ask or think. But Lord, as we look to the future, may you guide us by your hand. Lord, keep us just as desperate as we were on day one, as Lord, you've just given us new challenges and new frontiers. But Lord, in this moment, at this day, we just simply look back and we praise you and we are grateful in your name. Amen.